0: Hello, my name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to this, this week's Mercy Unbound. Today, I get to speak with Sister Breeze McKenna, a religious sister in the Order of the Sisters of St. Claire. She was miraculously healed from rheumatoid arthritis at an early age, has traveled the world speaking on the healing power of Jesus in the Eucharist. Most of all, enjoy the show and spread the truth of the mercy of God. Hello everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a series that aims to provide hope, an avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today, I have a special guest, a longtime friend. Many of you know her. You've heard her speak. She travels around the world, Sister Breeze McKenna, and um, we're going to talk about healing in the Eucharist, and my hope in this show is that all will leave with a deeper appreciation of the mercy of God, but that Jesus is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And Sister has so many stories, and uh, we can only have a few today. But I heard Sister talk, and I could listen to her for hours and hours. Sister, welcome so much, and thank you for being with us today on Mercy Unbound.
1: Thank you, Brian. I am so happy. I'm doing what I love doing, talking about Jesus and the divine mercy and the Eucharist. and So, Sister,
0: you have a a fascinating story of God working in your life. You know, I think everybody has a story, but yours Mm -hmm. is particularly powerful. You entered the Sisters of St. Claire at age 15. Our youngest daughter, who's 14, go almost a few months away from 15, is Claire Therese. And what led you to that order of sisters?
1: Well, you know, Brian, I actually left home at 14 and they couldn't take me in. I I kept coming back to them. So, um, well, I went, my vocation came in a very unique way because on Christmas day, when I was like 13 and a half on Christmas night, my mother died very suddenly. She wasn't sick. Mm -hmm. She had a, a hemorrhage and, that night, being the only girl with four brothers, um, I was really desperate because I was just at the age of of enjoying, you know, her, because I, I she was the only woman myself and herself and the boys my dad, and uh, the night that of her death, Christmas night, I was the first time I was staying with my cousins, and you know in Ireland they had these big Irish wakes, and you know, so my dad felt it would be better for me to go my to my cousins, which is a house full of girls. And that night, in the middle of the night, I was really, I eventually fell asleep. But I heard this voice saying to me, Breach, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. And uh, I told my cousin, who later became a karma like nun, but I remember saying it in the morning time, I think I'm going to be a nun. My cousin kept on, Oh no, it's just because your mom died, breach. Don't be getting all these ideas now. Just, you know, and well, anyway, it started to grow like a little plant. And I never told anybody. I went back to school and I was going to school with the Sisters of St. Clair. The, the, we were founded by St. Clair directly from Assisi through Belgium, through France to Ireland. But during the, the persecution in the, in the Cromwellian persecution and all kinds of things, the, the poor clares, which we are the same rule as the poor clares, but a different constitution different rules now we were asked to come into northern ireland and teach where the, after the protestant plantation and the sisters then started teaching but they were enclosed and so when i entered i hate to say it, like over 60 some years ago when i entered we were semi-closed you could teach but you couldn't go out you couldn't go home and then after that we became a Active branch, which God planned for me, I'm sure, too. And that's how so I loved the sisters because as a student, you know, they were there were really, I had a very happy um experience with them. And I went to the Mother General at I left class, never told anybody. I went to the Mother General at 14, said I want to be a nun. She said, Come back later. So I'm back two weeks later. Thought two weeks is enough time. Mm-hmm. And eventually they took me in before my 15th birthday. And all I can tell you, Brian. I mean, things have changed and uh, religious life has changed, you know, and a lot of things with the Vatican Council and a lot of things have changed. But if I were asked, would I do it again? I just, I grew more in love with Jesus. And now looking back, I think, how, what a gift. It wasn't my gift to Jesus, it was his gift to me. A religious vocation, when you give yourself 100% to the Lord, people say, oh, terrible binding. It's a wonderful life liberates you for jesus
0: now you had a period of your own trials with rheumatoid arthritis that i know yes. about three years and then you were transferred to tampa where i'm from you're at right now
1: yeah the- well i was well i got the rheumatoid arthritis at 17 and of course the thought is maybe i was young you know there was uh, they didn't know what to think about it and i was in belfast for um, I was two years in cass and then when i made my final vows Uh, one of the sisters our sisters had come to Florida to Tampa to teach and uh, they found it very hard to get sisters so one of the sisters asked you know they were talking about my condition because I was really bad and she said oh Breach you should go to Florida because it's really good the sunshine is good for you and I have to tell you viewers Brian I didn't go my motivation wasn't coming to Florida for Jesus my motivation was coming to Florida for the sunshine of the sky and but God knows what He's doing. So I arrived here in Florida in September, '67, and I thought, "Oh my God, this is hell! The heat was terrible. No air conditioning, and me, you know, this awful bad outright. So I got worse, and uh, I, I want to go home all the time. I, you know, it, t- times have changed, and I thought I will never get used to Florida. It's too hot. And the doctor said. He couldn't do anything except experiment with me as it, i was only 21 but jesus has a way of get, getting us where we want and this is what i tell young people often and parents that sometimes you get a crisis not all crises are bad because you know i entered i loved the convent i was happy i got on with people but did i know jesus you know, I did all the things a nun does. I went to mass. I did everything. But when I arrived here in Florida, I encountered at, um, a sister called Sister Emmeline Marie. I don't know if you knew her, but Sister Emmeline Marie was the first person that asked me to come to a prayer meeting. I oh, know I couldn't go to prayer meeting. We don't. We go to mass. And anyway, at the same time as she's asked me, I'm beginning to, you know, be told that I'm not going to be able to walk soon because my feet would be deformed it was really bad but at the same time something was happening in my soul and I realized you know the psalm where it says my soul is longing for the for the lord my soul is long uh, what does it go uh, my soul is longing for the lord near to you my god I kept thinking you know everybody's asked me you must love Jesus a lot and you give up so much to enter I used to think, well, I don't love them that much. I do my work. And then is when they, I heard myself saying that. And I thought, there's something missing. And I went to a charismatic prayer meeting. And I thought, I wouldn't possibly pray. That's not the way we pray. But to make a long story short, I got this grace to realize that it takes courage to leave religious life if you're not going to live 100%. At the same, I tell the clergy if you're not going to go all the way so i made a decision and i said i may be in a wheelchair but the one thing that doesn't stop me from me to say is to know jesus i have to get to know jesus i knew about him and that's why many catholics know about jesus but do they know him personally and like pope benedict used to say experiencing the risen jesus you know and <clears throat> so i started going every day all i prayed for Brian was not to be healed, not to be successful, not to go to Ireland. All those things became immaterial to me. All I wanted was to meet Jesus. And so I thought, I don't care what the charismatics do, you know, what they do, if it helps me. So I would go to a prayer meeting in Holy Name Academy, our Tampa Catholic. And I'd sit there looking at a big picture of Jesus and I'd say, you know, Jesus, I'm here. But I really can't pray, but I'm here. I know I I, I don't say much and I don't know what, but Jesus, please help me. And I went on a retreat in Orlando. I went to Miami and nothing happened. I was too preoccupied with gifts and other things. But I went to Orlando and Father um, from Notre Dame, a priest was speaking. And there I received the miracle of my life. Everything changed because I tell people at a quarter to nine on a Sunday morning, December 9th I met the risen Jesus, the Jesus of mercy. I met Jesus, and I was miraculously healed externally, but interiorly, I fell in love with a person. I fell in love with my faith, my vocation, the church. I fell in love with everything that I had that I didn't know I had for the Lord, and that's how my life started uh, with my on my journey. And then I thought, the son of the sky didn't do it, but the son of God did.
0: Wow. Now, how did you come to realize or accept that you had a gift of healing?
1: Well, I really didn't accept it in the beginning. First of all, when I got miraculously healed, my doctor cried, you know, and every, you know, I didn't tell very many people because I was teaching. I had about 56 kindergartners, and I never really said much to anybody. I could walk, but I was in pain, you know, and and I was taking like 30 pills a day. And so when... um, I used to say oh i'm not telling anybody about this by healing because this charismatics and these people will attach healing to me and i don't want anything to do to do with it and i came from a country where we had cures for everything you know my dad had a cure for this die we had cures for all kinds of things and then here in florida at the time you know you had these big tent revivals and oh i thought that's the last thing a respectable nun could be doing so I said, I'm not going to tell anybody. So then uh, I was born on Pentecost Sunday. And after I got baptized, which is the term I use, you know, whether you like to call it outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and and experienced this great conversion in my life. I was working in the prison. I was going to all kinds of prayer meetings. I was doing all kinds of things. And I used to say to Jesus, Jesus, you must be very happy with me. Because I'm really doing a lot of things for you. You couldn't ask me to do any more. But you see, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to send, but healing. Anyway, what happened was that on Pentecost Eve, Eve of Pentecost, I went into Pentecost Sunday. I was born in Pentecost and I must go make a holy hour. But it was about 11 o'clock or nearly 12 at night. And I thought, no, I'll go in tomorrow. It was just an idea. But I some a force in said no Gwyn so I sat in the chapel and Brian I didn't have any wonderful like feelings or anything I was just sitting looking at the tabernacle and Monsignor Higgins who I'm sure you knew Monsignor Higgins used to say to me after I got healed and into the renewal it's a bridge how's God and I'd say he's fine when did you talk to him and then he'd say to me did you hear any voices and those people here and so I was always you know at teasing them, it didn't bother me because i knew what jesus could do but anyway i'm in the chapel and all of a sudden kind of fuzzy, the silence comes and i hear this voice i thought hmm, maybe one of the nuns came in and the voice called my name and i i turned around and as i turned around this power just like like a heat went through me and the voice said you have my gift of healing go and use it and it left Everything was over in two seconds. And I knelt down, I looked at the tabernacle, I said, Jesus, I don't want any gift of healing. You keep it yourself now. And then I made an act of contrition, not for what I said, but for even thinking I had the gift of healing. And then I thought, Father Higgins, I thought, you know, he's right. I heard these voices. So then I made a vow, I'm going to tell nobody. So I left the chapel, never told anybody. I go down to Holy Name Academy because there was something that day for Pentecost, you know. And Sister Emmeline Marie is a legend over there. Now she's gone to the Lord. Sister Emmeline Marie was a great holy name sister. And she was my introduction to the renewal. But Sister Emmeline Marie, after the the meeting or something, said to me, oh, Sister Breed, or I think it was Delphina at that time, I had a different name. Sister Delphina was my religious name, which I went back to my own. But she said to me, there's a little boy here and I'd like you to come on over and say a prayer with us. And I'm thinking, maybe I should tell Sister Emma Marie what happened in the chapel. But something said no. And so I didn't. But, you know, I did find out, Brian, afterwards that that little boy was healed. Mm. And that was, so I, I fought it. I used the route of obedience. I hoped my mother, superior and all the arm um, would say no. And uh, it's a long story. But anyway, one day Jesus gave me an image of the day I was Uh, became a nun I was dressed in a beautiful wedding gown my dad gave me away at the altar but it wasn't it was the bishop was there and you know I had all this beautiful ceremony and then I had my hands bound and I was giving my life to Jesus and I heard the Lord saying to me on whose terms did you make that commitment because it's a very easy in marriage it's the same in anything. It's very easy to say words, but all of a sudden, when you're challenged or like the Mark, like St. Bartholomew today, you know, getting skinned to death, it's very easy to say yes, but you have to go the whole way and be a fool for the Lord. And you see, I wasn't worried about the order, which I was using as an excuse. And I was using that, you know, um, I know, no, I wasn't worthy. Sure, I wasn't worthy but it was an escapism and really what it was, was to protect my reputation, my good name, and what people thought about me. Uh, Now I look back and I think, who cares? As long as you're doing, as long as you suffer for the truth, that's the good name, the truth. But, um, so I said, yes. And the first person that I prayed with in in Florida in, and again, it was sister, I think it was somebody at one of the prayer meetings asked me to go see this lady who was blind and paralyzed. And I said, oh, that's too big of a job. I I mean, I'm just starting out. So, but I did. And the woman was very bitter. And I went in, this is my first experience. I went in and she, she wasn't one bit interested in this nun, but somebody brought me and we're all excited because a nun was going, I said, well, I'll say a prayer. with And the moment I put my hands on her, I felt something, but then I thought that's emotional. And I didn't say anything. said a prayer and got out fast. And when I came the next day, I get a phone call from to say you have to come and see the woman. In the middle of the night, she didn't feel a thing. She thought I was sticking pins in her to make a good impression, and that oh, is a total fake. The middle of the night, she felt all she felt was like a, a sheet being pulled up her body, and she got her sight. She had a stroke, and. Um, a youngish one and she got her sight and her feeling back and everything back and when I went to see her she told me the greatest gift I got was her whole happy her peace and hope and that was in the first year I saw miracles but the miracles were for me because I was the skeptic and so today Brian when people say to me about the the, I don't believe in this and I don't believe in that skeptic you know there's a lot of things you can be skeptical about and I, I am very careful to tell them we're only instruments I'm like a straw if I didn't spend hours in adoration I've made a commitment to Jesus way back at the beginning of this ministry because I don't know much but I said at least I know Jesus and I'm going to go to him so every day I go to adoration and you know when the divine mercy became popular you know when we were getting to know it in one morning, I can remember the day at the time I was out walking. I was going to give him I was given a mission in, in New Orleans with Father Kevin. And I heard in, in him saying, you've got to learn the chaplet, learn it now. And I went out for a walk. And by the time I got home, I knew the chaplet off. And um, and that brought me into, you know, with my, my ministry around the world. We have had the, you know, Divine Mercy Conference in buddhists and everybody come. so that's
0: how it all started you know sister you mentioned father kevin um in 1997 we had our second divine mercy conference in tampa and we were blessed that you and father kevin came and i remember just like it was yesterday we had a eucharistic healing service and um it was a beautiful night as you said you and father kevin have traveled late father i have traveled all over the world ministering to people and priests can you share with us just a few of those experiences of seeing the power of God I want to read a quote here from the scripture on the story of Lazarus now we all know the story of Lazarus I've heard it so many so many times but a couple years ago in mass I heard it and this one phrase jumped out at me and it was like my soul was illuminated because I understood because I've seen it and you've seen it um Jesus deeply moved came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And he said take away the stone Martha the sister of the dead man said Lord by this time there'll be an odor for he had been dead for four days Jesus said to her did I not tell you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God beautiful praise Jesus and isn't that the truth yes uh, I,
1: Yes, and and I to to go back to the Eucharist, you know, with the Holy Eucharist, you know, Brian, in the beginning of the ministry, um, when, you know, I did a lot of work over throughout Latin America on my own, at the invitation of bishops, Cardinal Sunans had, had arranged me. And I always had a sense, and some of my friends were praying for this for me, I was a sense there's something missing in, in this ministry. It's like missing one arm. And uh, I prayed and, and I went over to Mother Angelica's. This is back, this is 40, nearly 50 years ago. And when Mother Angelica was just five nuns, there was no TV, no radio, anything. And I went over to Mother Angelica and uh, the sisters and I remember praying. And a good, very good friend of mine who's the founder of Magnificat, Marilyn Quirk in New Orleans. Marilyn said to me, Please, we've got to pray for, you, for God to send you somebody traveled. Well, to make a very long story short, I was in adoration in Mother Angelicas, and the Lord showed me, Father, Ke- I didn't know who he was. He showed me the vision of a priest. And he said, you will come to meet this priest and he will teach you much about the priesthood and together you will travel the world, making me known and loved. And I thought, I don't really need a priest. I, I You know, I was a kind of independent. I thought, well, I'm not too sure. And anyway, uh, never told, I told Marilyn and the people who are praying. And then Father Kevin was finding a program for priests and his brother asked me to come to see. And his brother told him, there's a nun home from America that is the gift of healing and a ministry to priests. And Father Kevin's reaction was, because he was just starting this program, the last thing I need is a nun home from America that thinks she's a ministry to priests and healing but he he said he would meet me and I didn't know anything his brother just said no father Kevin is going to would love to meet you so I met him and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking you know he was he was at the at the seminary at the time I'm thinking I've seen this priest before but I couldn't put I could put a face in, but I couldn't remember where I met him and as i so he said to me always said would you pray with would you uh, pray over my legs you badly he didn't know what to ask me so seemingly I didn't pray over his legs but I prophesied and I prayed what this ministry would become I don't remember but I'm leaving and when I was turning to go out of the college the whole scene of two years came before me and it said you will you will be together this is the priest and the following three days he called me and he said would you ever come up for the intercession, this program. And he got invitations to Taiwan, Korea, Japan, but I got invitations at the same time, but not from the people he got. it. And he said to me, you know, we should really team up as a team. And that's how we st- we went to his father general and we went to my mother and they blessed us. And he introduced into this ministry that I you know, the whole sacramental dimension, especially with, i kept praying there has to be a way for catholics because we have jesus he's a person and they can't be running after sister breach and making gods out of these people who are just channels and especially in the catholic church i mean i tell stories all the time but miracles through the eucharist so father kevin then said to me you know breach we would be in big stadiums with hundreds of thousands with we like a three hundred thousand in in um chester in poland out in front of we go into the state and he, he was very very uh, close to the lord he t- said you know the best way is to carry jesus like the do and lure and we started the eucharistic healing services and you know brian we saw miracles well the first big miracle that uh, i mean there's so many but i just share this with you because it really goes to, to we we were invited to give priest retreats in kenya for, for the Kenyan priests and because we gone all over the world and the bishop said to us I would I would love you to, to do something for the diocese at the end of the priest retreat now there's about 120 priests on the retreat and so we said um, we suggested he have a mass and a Eucharistic healing service and um, so at the end of the priest retreat we all went to uh, the biggest church, the cathedral was a huge place and people walked for days They came and thousands of people had arrived. Anyway, at the mass, all the priests were assembled on the in the altar, you know, celebrating. And at the end of the mass, they put the monstrance out and I usually then say to them, um, you know, now. This is Jesus, this is not, a, and I I describe what it is, and I tell them it's nothing to do with feelings, but whether you believe it or not, it's real, it is Jesus. And I said, no, Jesus is going to walk around. So every time I would say this, and you can imagine the sea of Africans, all thousands but of them- Where it's, was this no at, sister? covering.
0: sister? where was this at again? In Kenya. Kenya, okay.
1: In, in Akura, in Kenya. Uh, so when uh, Father had the monstrance, and every time I would say, now, this is Jesus. Look up at him. He loves you talking. This little boy would get up in the front pew and, he, and he'd be smiling and he'd be trying to wave over at Jesus. He, could, he was following Father Kevin walking around in the, from the pew. So when Father Kevin came, just saw him, at, and he came over to him. And the little boy is looking up at Jesus and he's trying to reach the monsters to touch and he starts to cry and you could see he was very animated and very every time i would say you know um, you know ask jesus now what you want well any anyway, father moved down the church and at the end of the healing service and we went into the sorcery and one of the things we made and i made the decision for my own protection brian i don't really go out um and start lining people up to prayer because i say why do you want me because you just had jesus because it's kind of saying, well, Jesus is not enough. We we'll get this. And there are people and there are calls. I do pray with people, you know, at the at the priest retreats and everything. I take them individually. But in these huge places, but you don't need to because it's Jesus there. So one of the nuns came in to the circus and she said, Come out to you see what's happening. So we look around the door, and the, the little boy was up on a table in front of this the the, the Tabernacle and all the villagers had tambourines and they were singing and praising God. And she said, Where do you hear what happened? Now, this little boy was paralyzed. And his villagers for miles took turns at carrying, he was about nine years of age, on their back to the church. And his uncle was a celebrant at the Mass, a priest. And he's looking down and he knows we don't know. he can't walk because he never moved. He was just stood up and down, but he couldn't move his legs. And uh, when when father came in front of him and he he started, the little boy started, when father left, the little boy got up and started dancing around the altar. You know, people think, well, anything goes in Africa, you know, they, they sing and dance and everything before the Lord. He was completely healed. So with the result that the bishops of Kenya said, to father kevin myself after the tour we did a lot of priest retreats there you'll have to come back they were so take this miracle and the following day one of the irish missionaries said this old man came to him and he was really ill and he said father i'm coming to you because i heard jesus is doing healings and i'm not leaving till you get me a healing from jesus and the priest said that they were being challenged because of it. so we went back to Kenya and they put it in the paper from Nairobi to Mombasa. We did Stadium Eucharistic Crusades. And they dressed the same in Singapore and places, they would dress the, the Jesus a big, big host, and they'd have it all decorated. And the throw flowers in front of it, they'd adore, and then Father Kevin would go around. And, you know, the bishop from this diocese would come back home to his where he grew up to be with all his tribe and all his people. Brian, at the end of it, the Archbishop of Nairobi said to us, you know, we brought you all the way across the sea to tell us something that we already have, not to give us something new. And that's why that's why I love, you know, when when people talk to me about, um, you know, the Divine Mercy and about all the different apparitions that have happened, like, say, Medjugorje, which I've been at many times, the reason I love places like Medjugorje is not because of sensations or not because people are because of the very things that makes us Catholic, that is, we are very at home with. And this is why um, in our work with priests, you know, we don't use terms that might, you know, because terminology can cause people to get afraid. And the great thing is, I give a lot of parish missions, and we give a lot of priest retreats. But um, we use exactly the same because what are you doing as the Pentecostals and all these? They're trying to do it, but but what we have is such a gift, and that's why I've seen many non-Catholics converted. I've seen many. Uh, I was sitting beside a, a a Muslim man one time in in one of the Arab countries, and he came because he had a child sick. I had a great experience with Jesus and see over there in Tampa. Well, I'm in, over here. I live in the side of the world, but some years ago, I went to a church in Tampa, I'm not tell you where. And the priest said to me, Oh, bridge, maybe what are you speaking about? As I'm going to be speaking on the power of Jesus in the Eucharist. And he said to me, well, you know, there's a lot of Pentecostals coming because they know you from the Pentecostal church. Um, and, and, uh, so I looked at him and I said, well, listen, Father, if I went to the Pentecostal church, I wouldn't expect them to change their teachings. But I said, I think that a lot of people in the Pentecostal church would be good for them to know what Catholics believe. I'm not asking them to be Catholic because it's a gift, but I sure have to tell people what, I, what we believe because that's the only way they're going to get faith. Do you know that out of three pews, of those Pentecostals, two of those peers and maybe half of the other were all lapsed Catholics yeah. and and they went to the Pentecostal church. But why? Because because they don't they don't really know. People leave the Catholic Church. And this is what I you know, I do a lot of FaceTime and Skype and everything all over the world now, and um, I say to people, say, oh, sister, our sister, a mass is boring. And I tell them, do you really know what the Eucharist is? And then I give a whole t- there are more people Brian that I have seen healed and transformed for and what is wrong is a need for evangelization as Catholics I mean I'm sure you heard there's a a preacher on uh, somebody on EWTN one day and he was talking about the ship and about how you know Jesus when you think about the apostles Jesus sent 12 men he put them in charge of this big ship And he said, I'll be there, but you have to go out and bring the people in. And uh, the 12 apostles went to, I was reading about Bartholomew. I thought, what a a mission they were given. And of course, he gave them the power of his spirit. He promised to be with them. And he said, you know, I'm the truth and preach and teach and everything. But then as the ship got further out and got more people started disagreeing so some of them took wraps and they jumped over and uh, so what i tell people is look at i respect everybody's fit but i believe that we catholics have to do more about spreading the truth of our faith we don't ecumenism happens when they come back on the ship
0: you know sister you mentioned about lapsed catholics i remember hearing years ago that the largest group of Christians is those in the Catholic faith. And then the second largest group are lapsed Catholics. So it, it's not surprising when you mention about speaking to Pentecostals that many of them in there are lapsed Catholics. And oh, I,
1: yes. Yeah. I yeah, know. but the, I don't blame them, you know, because a lot of them you know, a lot of those people, really, really good people. And, you know, I spoke to the full gospel businessmen. I've spoken in all kinds. You know, I went to speak at a, at a university in Japan and I was asked to speak to the invitation I got was for intellectual Buddhists to talk to them. And I thought, what am I going to talk to intellectual Buddhists at the university in Tokyo? And I went into the chat and I said, Jesus, you've got to tell me what am I going to say these intellectual Buddhists and uh, I heard the Lord say to me tell them about your life with me tell them about me and I went in and I told them all about a uh, detail and at the end of it and I told them how you know we Catholics the last supper that Jesus gave us himself and every day I meet him personally and I sit and chat him, and this woman stood up and she says to me sister that is really inter- how can you meet this Jesus where could I meet him and I said, oh, if you'd like to meet him, it's very easy. We, I, So I got an Irish priest. She said, I would love to take instruction. I don't know a thing about, about Catholicism. She said, I'm a Buddhist, but I don't practice anything. And she became a Catholic. She gave up her, profet- her, her, her professorship and she became a, a Catholicist. For, mm-hmm. And she said to me when I was back in Japan years later, she said, you know, the biggest need in the world where people are ignorant we don't know nobody ever talks about it's very respectful you don't interfere with other people but she said you had great courage to come into that college (laughs) if i knew more i probably wouldn't but jesus is good (laughs) you know sister
0: when you were talking about kenya it reminded me of a story over 20 years ago i was in kenya speaking on divine mercy and a priest from the diocese of eldoret
1: Um, oh yeah i know i give a priest a treat there exactly
0: well, we're we're in Nairobi driving to Eldoret and the priest, Father John said, um, do you know Sister Breeze McGenna?" And I go, yeah, she just lives an hour from me. He goes, you're kidding. He said, I was the translator when she was in uh, Eldoret in Kenya recently. And so it's just interesting how our, our paths intertwine. Uh, I, I don't know if the viewers can see my shirt, but our logo here, as Eucharistic Apostles, actually came from a vision that Saint Faustina had of the rays of blood and water yes. coming from the monstrance. And uh, our mission is to spread the real presence, and that's why I was so excited to have you come on today. Um, and you mentioned to me recently that you, you know you are doing all these retreats, churches, speaking events, and talking to the youth. I think at Saint Jerome's, um, how can you? What words do you give to me and other Catholics who understand the real presence? How can we instill in Catholics a deeper love of the Eucharist and the beauty of our faith? And
1: you know, the- Well, Brian, uh, to me, the, the most powerful way. And, you know, I have a priest now who is going to be with me on my next missions and up in Boston, New York next month. And uh, I, I, we've talked about this and about, you know, yesterday. I was reading, have you ever read John Harding S.J.'s book on the Eucharist?
0: Father Harding? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I met him years ago. He was instrumental in guiding me when the ministry was just in its infancy. I flew up to Detroit on three occasions. Yeah.
1: Well, Four. I love his book on the Eucharist. And yesterday, I just was reading again and again. I've read it, that, you know, the, the the greatest need, and he he died, what, in 2000, but he, he, underlined that the greatest crisis in the world and the greatest crisis we're going through right now is when when the eucharist goes when people's faith in the real presence goes there goes the catholic church and there goes civilization and he he stressed you see to me um now more than ever for people like us We have to, first of all, have our roots in Jesus. And see, I love Eucharistic adoration. And I'll give you an example. I was talking to a doctor who called me on on, uh, FaceTime for for ministry. And I said to him, I said, you know, doctor, he he was very distressed about health issue we had. And I said to him, you know, he was Catholic and he goes to mass and all. I said, when you go to, to Jesus, don't talk to him said Faustina heard Jesus. and People treat me like an object. So I said, when you go to to Jesus, I said, this is what I do. I he's a real person, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He's one hundred percent present. Don't be saying nice things to him. He doesn't need nice things. He needs you to treat him like a person who you love, your best friend, and you can chat to him and win and tell him. And I told him the story of the dentist someplace in this country that was so upset because this little boy was dying and he was frustrated and he went down to the chapel in the church, uh, in the uh, hospital and he gave out, he said, Jesus, I'm so mad and he went on and on and then he got really apologetic. And he met me on the corridor and he said, oh, I'm just being so mad at Jesus because I'm so desperate my child's dead. And I looked at him, I said, Jesus doesn't care. He's delighted that you let your frustrations out. I said, you know, because that you you're, you're going to the right place. And this little boy had a great recovery. And he said to me afterwards, you know, he said, I think I grew up not believing that, you know, he's real. Well, this doctor called me back two weeks after. I said, no, Michael, you talk to Jesus like a living. He's alive." And he, ca- he said, Sister Breach, I don't know how my health problem is going to go, but I can tell you the best advice i got of the real prayer is to in that church where I go for adoration. I'm sitting in front of the person of Jesus. He said, you know, that that's something that I never thought. And see, this is where we ourselves, you and me and those of us in ministries. And this is what I tell clergy. You know, I have a great love for the priesthood. And I had a nearly a five hour vision into the inside of ordination and the power of the priesthood. And when the Lord sent me out in this mission around the world with priests. But that was one thing that I felt the Lord saying that the 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 strength of the priest is how long he spends with the person of jesus because it is jesus who will it doesn't matter what what he has if if he doesn't have an inner life his outer and inner life married it's like a marriage if you don't have communication you break up and i think that's where there's a big break because you know i heard mother i spoke with mother Teresa. and i listened to her the other day somebody sent it to me and uh she, she and i spoke in rome for a big priest conference 6000 but I, it struck me what she said to them she said to those priests and bishops she said you're not a social worker and you're not out there you have to preach jesus well the same with you and me i mean if we have this ministry and the people like us who are who have given our lives then you know the biggest distraction brian can be good things that are good like global warming and planet earth and all that that's very good we have to but there's people paid to take care of it the mission of the priests is to evangelize and to salvation of souls and i tell them this all the time i have a great reverence and a great respect for priests and for the bishops and the pope. but i think that we can get preoccupied with things that when i get to heaven jesus is not going to say to me thanks for saving the planet He's going to say to me, how many people did you bring to me and let them know the good news that I'm their savior. And that's where the the root of all of this is prayer. Without prayer, I I would never do what I'm doing. Remember, Brian, that I'm a kindergarten teacher. And the first time when I went down to Latin America. And the first priest retreat I ever gave was with Father Harold Cohn, who had a great divine mercy. Do you remember him?
0: I remember Father.
1: Well, Father Cohn brought me to, I think it was Mm -hmm. Minneapolis. He said, Breach, you have to come on a priest retreat. I thought, no, oh, no, 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 listen, I couldn't get out of school. And he said, Oh, come on, Breach, not do them any harm to be first priest. My first priest retreat, Father Harold got sick, and I was left with 50 skeptical parish priests who didn't want to be there, and a nun there, <laughs> and a young one at that. And I remember when the priest came and said, Father Harold's gone to the hospital, and you have to give the retreat. Remember, I never stood in front of a priest in my life before. And all I can tell you is that I learned what, what Peter learned the hard way, that when you're thrown out, there's nobody else but Jesus to turn to. And uh, 30 years later, I met a priest who was a bishop crossing St. Peter's Square in Rome. And he said, we preach, McKenna. He said, I was one of those priests that you were left to give the retreat. And he said, we were puzzled at you because they said, how does she know so much? And he said, you know, I was sent in to question you on things of canon law to see could you answer them and uh, i didn't take any credit i said to him so that's why you were said we'd like a meeting father so and so like a meeting and it had to be jesus so that's why i tell people if you if jesus called you you can have all the academics and studies and everything but if you don't have a deep relationship with jesus it's going to be like cotton wool Mm -hmm. and that's what the Curie of ours said that's what the great saints learn you have to do I believe in scholarship I believe in being well able to you know in the ministry you're in but some souls like me and like you now (laughs) that are out there and you never know what Jesus is going to ask you but you have to say well Jesus you're in the driver's seat you I'll do you just steer me and give me the power your power and I'll do it
0: you know I'm thinking of the poem I took the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference
1: oh yes uh, yeah so anyway that that's a long answer to all those questions yeah
0: it it was wonderful sister before we close out today's show would you mind giving a prayer for those who will be watching this and who lack hope they're afraid they're discouraged we're living in somewhat crazy turbulent times could you just lead us in a prayer
1: I will. And can I just briefly say, you know, I heard a beautiful story uh, a few days ago about the person who found it very hard to pray because they couldn't get out. They couldn't, you know, and this elderly priest said to this person, uh, went into a ward and the person was, this old man was dying. And the priest said to him, I think I know you. And he said, yes, you met me years ago. And he said, how are you? He said, well, I'm going, I'm dying two days the doctor gave me and he said oh I'm really sorry and the priest said back to him uh, I'm sorry to, he said no no father don't I am so excited I'm going to see Jesus the priest was kind of taken back and he said to him, oh he said um, God bless you and he said I had tears in my eyes as I listened to this old man the old man and this is great for people that can't get out to mass who can't get out because of COVID who can't he said you know when I was young I couldn't pray I had a and he said, you know, I went in a retreat. The old man said he was now, in his 90s. And he said, and the priest said to me, John, you know what you do. You know how children use imaginations and they can be all kinds of engines and teddy bears talk to them. And he said, I want you to get an empty chair and every day take 10 minutes and see Jesus on that chair and talk to him. And he said, just talk to him. Picture him as a person and just talk to him. And he said, you know, Father, for all my life, I started when I was in my 20s. And every day in the morning time, I always had a spare chair in my bedroom. And when there's nobody there, I just sit down opposite. And I, I picture Jesus. And he said, he started talking to me. And one day I said to him, you know, Jesus, I wish I could see you. And he said, I heard Jesus saying to me, you will, John. And we'll sit in the chair together. You'll put your head on, on my lap. You, you, you'll see me. The priest went back to the hospital four days later and he sees this woman crying outside and she said, he said, well, can I help you? She said, oh, my dad just died. And she said, you know, I went down to get uh, uh, something to eat in the cafeteria. And when I came back, my dad was out of the bed, over at the chair with his head on the chair. And he died and said, and the priest said, he died with his head on the lap of J. and that's a great way to help you to pray so i'm going to pray knowing whatever whoever's listening that jesus is there we have him sacramentally. we know and we also have him. he said we're two or three i will be there so let's pray lord jesus i thank you with brian today for this beautiful gift that you have given lord to all of us which is yourself the promise, Jesus, that you would be with us. You said, I will come to you and I will make my home within you. The Father and I will dwell in you. Jesus, I pray this day for all the people who will who will see, Lord, and join Brian and myself on this program, Lord, and this witness to you, Jesus, your love and your mercy. I pray that you extend your healing hand to every person who is listening. Wherever they are, Jesus touched them. And please, Lord, just as you did to to Thomas, Thomas found it hard to believe. But Lord, you showed him that you are a person, that you had risen. And Lord, you looked at each one of us telling us, blessed are you who don't see and yet believe. I pray for an increase of faith for all the listeners and viewers. I pray for healing for those who are sick, Lord, and who are in, in great need of knowing you, Jesus, please lord bless them i pray for for the divine mercy the jesus of mercy you jesus who told faustina your 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 mercy is for everybody we just come to you i pray that through brian's ministry and all of those involved this wonderful ministry lord that many will come to know your mercy and your love and mary our mother of mercy we ask your intercession, St. Faustina and all the great saints, St. Saint John Paul, and all those who who have have walked this earth, you know how much we need help from heaven. So please ask Jesus to intercede for us, that all of us, through the holy name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, will come to know the gifts that we've been given. We ask all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. And in, the, in the words of St. Louis Imard, may thy Eucharistic kingdom come. Sister, I want to thank you for joining me today on Mercy Unbound. It's been a great honor and privilege to hear your wisdom and your love of the Lord. And uh, people, listen to the shows, spread them, tell your show them to your contacts, social media. Let's get the word out. Jesus is alive. You can listen to the show or listen to the podcast, watch the video at B-R-Y-A-N-Thatcher.com, B-R-Y-A-N, and uh, support us, get the word out. And again, sister, thank you. And people, I hope you enjoy this great show. God bless to all of you. Thank you. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash br-y-an-thatcher. T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.